what's your situation right now as far as, as shows? Is this? Did you kind of come out to New York for a one-off? Um, I'm just yeah. Well, my wife and I are here. Uh, we're workshopping a musical that our friend Britton Ashford is writing, um, and so we just started kind of working on that today. And uh, while we're here, we're going to play a a, a a show show oh, wow. um, at, at Union Hall on the 21st of August. So next Thursday. Okay, so you're—I mean—you're keeping busy in the short amount of time that you're. <clears throat> yeah, the- yeah. Um, well, we—I mean, it is. We're actually working on that thing almost every day, uh, and so that's taking up the bulk of our time. But yeah. you know, whenever whenever there's a little bit of time, you know, like to—if you're somewhere, it's really nice to be able to play a show. So, so you—I mean, you just—you start really started, I guess, working on it today. You said mm-hmm. was that. And, and it's not all that far off. So what, what what's the process? Oh well, the I mean the musical is sort of a work in progress, okay. and that's the the show we're playing is just our regular like I'm playing a set of my yeah. songs, and but the musical it's a stage musical that she's writing uh, with a friend of hers, and it's um, I don't know what will come of it, yeah. but um, we're doing a little invited. Uh, kind of workshop presentation of that, like um, actors kind of standing up and reading off of papers. Yeah, situation. yeah, um, and that's happening before we leave town. Um, but I don't, I, I don't, I'm not familiar with the process. I've never actually done it like this before. Yeah. So I guess I'm here to learn about that just as much as anything. What is, is that? What she does is that she writes musicals. Our friend Britain, uh, your wife. Oh no! Well, actually, I mean, she might be doing that more, but yeah. no, we're just we're just acting in it. Oh, okay, okay. Um, she writes she writes songs as well. She's also performing at the Union yeah. Hall show. Um, she's a great songwriter, I think. And the plan is to like have, actually have this become a show that you're that you're actually in at some point, or this was kind of a favor. Um, well, it's. Uh, I mean, I think it would be. I mean, it was certainly it's, it, the parts that we're doing were written for us to do. Okay. But I think it's sort of, I mean, I think with the world of you know stage musicals, it's sort of if they get money and the yeah. people want it to be want to have actual like name performers in it, then they would do that. Or I, I, I don't, I don't really know what to expect. So I'm, I'm opting not to expect anything and just kind of enjoying the the moment. Where are you? Uh, where are you at with with acting right now? Um, I am more or less where I have always been, which is that I really love doing it and I really hate, uh, the process of trying to get work. So, um, so far what can charitably be called my career as an actor has consisted of me hoping my friends who are filmmakers call me and ask me to do it. And for a while that was happening a lot. I've acted in, I don't know, like a dozen films and, um, you know, written a couple and, you know, I've, I've done quite a bit of that, but I I haven't been doing it a whole lot lately. So what, what, uh, is it, is it all, is it all music at this point? Um, yeah, that's, I mean, (laughs) it's, I I have this record of, uh, Harry Nelson songs that I am, uh, I had been planning for a while to put it out on a label in Seattle uh, called Finn Records, but they recently announced that they are closing up shop for mm-hmm. a while for due to financial uh, problems. So all um, the royalties of the Nelson songs they tried to buy. <laughs> well, alas, the, their their earlier releases um, were uh, the issue there. But um, so I don't know what I'm going to do with it uh, at this point. And so I'm, in a way, back to square one. I, I, I'm just sort of trying to figure out what to do next, actually. Yeah. Um, and I don't know the answer. 
That's a tough. I mean, that's a tough project. From I mean, at least from the standpoint of again, kind of paying all the royalties and everything. You can't just put it out in the world. Well, you. I mean, you can, but you just have to. You know, if anybody, it's tricky. Only in as much as like you can do it, but if any money comes in, you have mm-hmm. to split that with the. You know, you have to pay the licensing agency that does it. It's not. It's not. To, it's complicated only from an administrative yeah. standpoint. I mean, I, I've, like, I've dealt with song clearances and stuff. And it's yeah, kind of a, a nightmare. But yeah, it can be. You don't. The good thing about doing it where it's just like a record, you don't have to. I don't think you have to get. You don't have to get anyone's permission to do it. You just have to pay. Um, kind of pay as you go it's sort of like the old world of mechanical royalties yeah and and the world of like let's let the record company deal with right right which is the world i vastly prefer yeah except that then you are in the position where you are subject to their kind yeah. of their uh whims and and uh impingencies so it's um it's frustrating i mean i've been i've had this record kind of you know, in mind and then in progress and then done for a lo- I mean, several years. It's like eight years yeah. that I've been kind of dicking around with it. And uh, it, I go through these phases of being really excited about it. I think it's really good. It's just I lose confidence so easily. It doesn't. It just takes a strong wind to get me to kind of not believe in something I'm doing anymore. And then I decide, oh, I quit. Forget it. I'll never release anything ever again and then months go by and I listen to it and I think oh you know that's actually that's good and I think I will get on board with it again and then something else happens and it's 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 not the most like commercially aggressive model for yeah. being a person but um it's the one that I have. How, how much time does your, your wife spend talking you down from the ledge <laughs> on these sorts of things? Um, more than she probably anticipated when we got back together when we got together um, she uh, she actually was the one who said, you know, with my solo record and with this Nilsson record, both I played them for her early on, and I was like, I don't know if I want to do anything with them. And she was like, What are you talking about? Don't be an idiot. Put yeah. the, put them out. <laughs> like it's not that hard. And she's right. It's just uh, you know, it's just my mental health really that is the problem. Well, what's the uh, you know what's what's worst case scenario? I mean, especially because you, you guys you guys uh, after the 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 reunion, you guys still you know you put out the single, you you put out the B sides, you put all that stuff out on the internet. So yeah. you know, obviously, um, distribution is there, pe- people are there. It's easy enough to just stick something into the world. Yeah, yeah, it's true. And I mean, with Harvey Danger, it was really. Um, the reason that worked so well, and it really did work very well um, for us. It was perfect. Uh, the thing is that they, you know, th- there was a bit of name recognition uh, with yeah. that band. Actually, a lot of name rec- recognition um, because we had had so <clears throat> we had been so well exposed in the world. And so, even though we had gone away for some years prior to that, when we put something out anew, it, it, it was pretty. Uh, the the um, attention was kind of self-generating, yeah. um, and I feel like, I mean, philosophically, I'm totally in favor of doing that and of other people doing it. Mm-hmm. It's just for myself, I feel like there is there's something to be said for just sort of putting stuff up on a website and seeing what happens, but there's also there's also just some kind of there's a 
it's not defeatism, but it, it's it's like a resignation in a way. And I I haven't. It's not as though I believe that. I it's not like I'm waiting for glory. It's just that I I am sort of feeling like I feel like having someone's help uh, yeah. to just really just sort of to help put the thing, even if it is just on a website or something, having someone's help uh, helps me feel like the thing is legitimate. It, 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 it's, it's a crazy thing. And I, I, I suspect that this is one of those things where you're going to look back on it in however many years and realize that, you know, may, maybe you were a little silly to, to, to create those lines, you know, cause I'm, I'm thinking, you know, personally um, when I moved out to New York, when I moved out to New York to, be a writer mm-hmm. uh there were still magazines around and right it still felt like yeah. a little bit of a demotion to write something that just went on the internet right you know as i was writing i was writing for spin for a while and if mm-hmm. it just went on the website versus going on the magazine um and and you know i, I mean especially especially now it, it might be just kind of a false distinction you're making i think that's true um, i mean i i absolutely believe that it is a false distinction yeah. but it is also my uh my my reflex to kind of make that distinction mm-hmm. and it's it's just because i'm my sort of internal timepiece is set to another it's calibrated to yeah. another era and it's the era that i grew up yeah. in and so it's not like i'm not aware things have changed it's just they I haven't changed and, and you know what I mean yeah. and so I mean it's exactly like what you're saying like now having a piece in you know the hard copy of a magazine is in fact probably way less of a way of getting people to read it you know like it, it it's almost a miracle when somebody picks up a physical object yeah, and, and it, reads and it's it got a very limited life lifespan versus yeah. things that, that live on on the internet forever but in my mind it is just it's just feel it feels more legitimate um and that's just because i you know it's been it hasn't been that way for about five to ten years yeah. at, whereas you know for 25 to 30 years it was that way yeah. in my consciousness and so it's uh it's it's just i feel a lot of the time i feel like kind of a 90s rip van winkle like i just i i stopped i stopped kind of keeping uh tabs on the culture in a really aggressive way for just i don't know a handful of years and then i looked up and i realized that it's different but i'm still kind of uh, you know i still think of things in terms of the way i I thought of them in my 20s you know is you know and even even sort of divorced from that timeline um do you feel like you you know now that you have sort of a uh, a bar for success now that you have a high watermark like that that's that that's the standard for success for you it's i mean it, that is one of the real conundrums of my life because yeah. the, the you know how, the, how old were you when i was 23 okay. and so the the first harvey danger album came out and it was very successful and i was really young and partly due to my own kind of inclination but also partly because of the times that it was happening and you know it wasn't like any of us didn't understand that it was like that's a temporary thing and it's not like it's going to lead it's necessarily going to lead to you know uh, a career in that same way um nonetheless you i don't know the first thing i ever 
did, the first thing I ever finished, yeah. was extraordinarily successful um, by really any standard. And and um, each subsequent thing I've done, and I have done a lot of things since. Um, for a long time, I felt like I was being like almost uh, irrationally uh, busy and like mm-hmm. you know, keeping myself doing lots of projects. So in one sense, I, well, I'm proud of all of the things I've done and put out into the world. Um, prob- you know, maybe not equally proud, but like I, I haven't put anything out in the world that I thought was like garbage in retrospect or, or even at the, or at the time. But obviously none of them has gotten the kind of attention yeah. that the first thing did. And so, you know, I say both to myself and others, I'm not expecting anything big to come of this again, but there is a little, there is a little tiny consciousness within my larger consciousness that's like, well, you know that it can happen because it did happen. But, can, but that's the thing, right? I mean, that, you know, I, it's, can, can it, it happen? Can't. There's no buzz bin for you to go into anymore. Right, exactly. But, you know, the, 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 the issue is that the last time, the first time it happened, it, yeah. it, it shouldn't have happened either. You know what I mean? Like we weren't, there was no reason we could have expected that kind of success the first time. And so the idea was, well, it's happening simply because of the merits of what we're doing. In addition to whatever cosmic accident might've happened, it's, you know, this success is the result of our, our worth in addition to us being lucky. And I have not though. Well, I haven't abandoned the idea that, I have worth, but it isn't, I don't consciously measure it against like the marketplace of commercial success in music or in in any kind of entertainment. But at the same time, there is this sort of, there's the kind of of parallel uh, universe of, it's not necessarily about people, but even now it doesn't really have anything to do with people buying records. Like the last two number one albums in the country were, Tom Petty and Weird Al Yankovic, you know, people I've been conscious of basically my whole life. And if you put the sales of those number one albums up against the least successful thing either one of them did in their heyday when people were actually buying records, they would have been huge flops, you know, like Mm. it was uh, the, the, the numbers are just different now. So it's not, it's not so much about that. It's just about the sense of like, making work that there is some uh, larger consciousness of even beyond your own audience. Mm. You know, like I, I feel like I have an audience and it's probably pretty small in number, but it tends to be like they've, people have been really loyal. If they've been into the stuff I've done, they pay attention and they have a really meaningful response to it. And that genuinely means a lot to me. It's 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 trying to impress the people who aren't the people who you know will already be there for you. It's not. Yeah, it's not. It's not even trying to. Well, I mean, it's trying to impress them only in the sense that it's trying to get them to know about yeah. it. Like I put out a solo record last year on a label, a very small label from New York. But again, like the smallness of it relative to their other releases wasn't the issue. It was that I really liked and trusted the guy who put it out. He was interested in working on the behalf of that record mm-hmm. and he did and he did a great job and I still like and trust him and I'm extraordinarily grateful and it got good reviews like the best reviews I've ever had 
it got some attention from you know people who review records in the world or whatever and uh, you know though in my world it looms very large as a thing that I did and had always wanted to do in the larger world that I can't even really contemplate actually like who, who this larger world is it is as though it never happened you know? yeah but I mean you you know you certainly you of all people understand that if you know if you you know if, if there if there are if there is a base of people if if you put something out there i mean like the the, the second harvey danger album is mm-hmm. a good example of something that like certainly compared against the first one compared against a lot of other records was not massively successful no but not at all it it's it's stood the test of time right i mean people love that record and a lot of people you know i i remember i i I didn't hear that record until well after it came out. And yeah, I don't think yeah. I'm unique in that. Respect. Most people didn't. Yeah, most people still haven't. Um, but I think it, I think the big difference is that that came, that record came out in 2000, which was just the really the very beginning of the new age. Like there yeah. was still a you know a bottleneck through which all media was issued into the world, mm-hmm. and so. The fact that it didn't succeed commercially um, was it was significant, but it was also like it still meant a lot of people were aware of it in yeah. some way. Uh, like relative to now, where there is sort of you know even like infinite access, everybody has access to the same whatever channels of exposing yourself to the world, um, but that means that I don't know that well, there's I, so much noise out there. That's right. a big part of the problem. Yeah. And I don't, I mean, that's democracy. Like that's the democracy that has emerged yeah. and it's good in a sense. Like it's good that anyone can do it. I've always been a proponent of that, but it does feel less special um, to do it yourself when yeah. anyone can do it. And that's, and that's kind of that's something that I really do kind of wrestle with and think about. And it's not I don't have any um, I don't have a sound uh, philosophical kind of stance or understanding of it either. Even it's just I I wrestle with like feeling like it's it's great to kind of have this sort of anti or post commercial sensibility. Um, while at the same time recognizing that the old way was like I, we got in like just under the wire of mm. the old way, and it mm-hmm. was and our success was the old kind of success, and it's significant and somewhat problematic for me, but i'm not I'm really not complaining about it, but like you know the these this label in California just reissued the first Harvey Danger album mm. on vinyl. Uh, I mean, it had never been on vinyl before, but it's it, it, they issued it on vinyl. And it's gotten a ton of attention, I guess, in the world. Like, people have been... I've done a lot of press about it, and but it's out there again. And it's just, like... It's so strange to still be talking about it 17, 18, whatever years later, all yeah. these years later... It's great that it still exists and it's still kind of in pop culture in that way. 
but <laughs> it's also it's not lost on me that I've done all these other things that to me feel just as like valid or just as interesting or whatever mm-hmm. uh but you know i don't I don't expect that I'm going to be doing podcast and blog interviews about you know the movie my effortless brilliance in 20 years or whatever it's not out of the question no, it would be nice yeah she's she's doing all right for herself well, Lynn, lynn's doing great <laughs> so, no absolutely that, that one could be reissued on laserdisc or whatever yeah, yeah. retro uh exactly media comes out. when they bring back laserdiscs is yeah is, is is part of that um i mean you know because because you were talking about not only how, how you're talking about how busy you were keeping but it's not only busyness it's 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 almost like diversification right i mean yeah. and 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 maybe i don't i don't want to get too analytical about it but maybe that's kind of the nice thing about you know you're in a band the band the band has a measure of success and then you can go on and be in this indie movie and people can't say that an indie movie is less successful than a band right I mean, they can, but you know, you're not only are you getting yourself out there to other people, but you're finding a way, or you know, you're writing for the stranger. You're finding a way to make art that, at least theoretically, will will live on on its own. Yeah, yeah. I mean, again, I think it has to do with the general, like the proliferation of ways people receive their media information. You know, like. Acting in an in an independent film, you know, again, twenty years ago, it was like it's it's still a big deal to me. It's a huge deal. I loved doing. I love doing. I've done it a bunch of times since. But like that was a situation where the movie was written for me and mm-hmm. kind of like by me. I, I I co-wrote it and and it was very much like I was at the center of it. And it was a huge deal in my world, like in a way that I could never fully uh, express. And, and it was fun to do and great to do. It was such a joy. And even well, by that time, which was wasn't quite ten years ago, um, we took it around to festivals, whatever. It was just like one of a thousand other, mm-hmm. you know, movies where you can, you know, because anybody can make a feature film now yeah. based on the, you know, having cheap equipment and like a, a degree of know-how, the, the really good ones do tend to be recognized and they do sort of get an audience or they get some attention. And I thought ours was good. Um, I don't think it was necessarily great, but it still was like the significance of any individual uh, project is just diluted by um, the fact that so many people now can do it and so um i really thought in a way i mean in a way my life did change as a result of it but it only it changed in ways that only i was aware of you know um it didn't and it led to some more work but it didn't lead to like that larger kind of sense of me having a public persona that was radically different or a new career or a new career i mean it had a it was a new like partial career i mean all my careers are partial i would say partial music career partial film career partial writing career and that's good because i do i mean there is not one instant of my life when i'm not aware that i'm incredibly fortunate to be able to do all this stuff but there is like 
like anyone who performs for even you know for a living or for an attempt at a living I, there's some hole in me that is the shape of the performances that I do and I do them to kind of fill that hole and it's not it's not exactly true to say I'm doing it as a like in a in an effort to receive acclaim though a little acclaim sure, sure is pretty nice but and I've had a bit but um it's just that kind of I'm really torn between a kind of uh aesthetic and kind of moral ethical sense that pushing yourself into the world too egregiously is simply wrong and distasteful and bad and and this and the knowledge that to do it to do this stuff and not do that is an exercise in self defeat i i was on the way here i was reading uh, an interview that you did with the stranger when the the solo record came out, mm-hmm. and, and you know, he, I think he asks you what you know what your what your biggest re- career regret was, and it's such a funny thing, but it, it was not having Paul Schaefer play with you, yeah. Which, like, you know, I mean, it's it's kind of a goofy thing, but yeah, it's. I mean, I think about that a lot, um, partly because you know the record is being is being reissued. Yep. And so I kind of have that period on the brain, but and also the Letterman is retiring, and yeah. that show's going off the air. And I, I mean, Harvey Danger played on David Letterman, and we were asked if we wanted the orchestra to back us on uh, Flagpole Soda, and I, which isn't a common it, request. It's apparently not everybody. Apparently not everybody. They don't ask yeah. everybody, but they asked us, and I think it means that they like the song, or so, you know, they they're like they don't always do it. And we said no, which is a totally valid choice. It's fine to yep. not do it. But the reason we said no was because we had just gotten a bad review in Rolling Stone by a writer who suggested that we were this, like, fabricated, uh, like, basically a boy band, like a teen <laughs> pop boy band, which, um, you know, first, A, like... I mean, you look like a model, show. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, any anyone who could have ever looked at us or heard us and thought, oh, what a bunch of pro hacks. Yeah. Like, that was ridiculous. And also, we knew exactly who we were and where we came from. But the fear of other people thinking that because someone else said it was so overwhelming to us at that time that we we said no because we thought it would look like we didn't know how to play our instruments or, you know, like yeah. we were afraid that we would look less authentic, which is the worst reason to do anything ever. I think like authenticity, first of all, is a total false God. And, and also you can't not be authentically what you are because, you know, I, I it was only later years later that I saw, um, footage of they might be giants doing i think birdhouse in your soul on the old tonight show mm-hmm. with the doc severinson band yeah. and they looked so great and they sounded so great and it just was so great that's exactly what i when i read that i was like oh my god that song would have been really neat to hear with horns that's the thing if you and the truth is when we played it on the show like it sounded okay but it yeah. wasn't like killer we were never a killer live band but like the thought of doing this great big thing with this great big i mean there's a 
it's a great orchestra, obviously, and Paul Schaefer is someone I've always really admired. Anyway, it's like the the opportunity isn't really the issue. Yeah, it's the it's the logic that we had going yeah. on, and so what I regret was that that was kind of the way we were at that time. So like, that was just symptomatic of some larger. Yeah, like our our um, self consciousness problem was pretty acute, and I was definitely I wasn't the only one in the band, but I definitely because I got the most of it because yeah. I was the singer. But did that did that notion inform the second album at all? Yeah, <laughs> I mean it did. Like the the second album is so should have just been called "We're Not Sellouts," right? Well, it's so it's a really schizophrenic record, or you know, multiple personality disorder record, I should say. Um, but you know, we the whole time we were on tour with the first album, all we thought was, it's, "This is we're only doing this so that our second record will be all the better received," and mm. all like because the first record was old by the time we were touring on it old to us um and and we also because we were you know quite reasonably but we thought unjustly lumped in with all of these other radio mm-hmm. hit bands um we wanted we just sort of we just sort of projected ourselves into a fantasy where we got not only did we have all this great luck, but we also got all this respect and like we, we, that we pretended in our minds that we were going to get the best version of what we, we were getting. Real quick diversion, like who who would you, you know, versus again these like buzz band bands, who would you have, who did you see yourselves a, a part of? Well, I think it's like you know when you have when when there's when you have your first hit, there's you can think a lot of bands are just like, hey, we got a hit, great, yeah. like let's lap it up. Uh, and and so the question always is like, are you gonna be, are you gonna be you know modern English, and just have be I melt with you. I melt with you is a great song. Great song. Um, the only song anyone I know has ever heard by Modern yeah. English. I've never heard that whole record. I've heard that song as long as I've ever you know. Mm-hmm. It's a great song, but it is their only song. And you don't think of Modern English as a band. You think yeah. of them as that song. A flock of seagulls, same thing. Like. They had a couple, but like really it was Iran. Um, or is it going to be, are you going to pull off the miracle of being like the Flaming Lips where they had, you know, they had several records already by the time She Don't Use Jelly was like a yeah. minor hit. But I mean, we loved the Flaming Lips too. We were all, we like used to go see them play in clubs. Um, and then the other one, of course, was at that time especially was Radiohead. Yeah. Like they, we listened to OK Computer, I think, literally every day for over a year. And it was right at that time. And they had been, you know, they did Creep. And Creep was like a really great single, but it was also like, yeah, what else do they got going on? And their, the rest of their first record was like, OK. But then the Benz came out and then OK Computer. And it turns out that the... The hit they had was a springboard to this incredibly interesting life. Mm-hmm. And, of course, at that point, it turned into, like, they happened to get be the most respected yeah. band, and they continue to be. And so, you've like, so much of being in a band is a fantasy about what other people will receive about you um, and how that determines kind of what you are. Uh, we, <laughs> we really, like, it, it's a weird combination of insecurity and arrogance, but, you know, you wind up, Feeling like, well, of course, flagpole sort of sure it's popular, but it's not <laughs> like it's not the best thing we have. And you know, the truth is, like, I don't know if it's the best thing we did, but it's certainly the best 
like single we yeah. ever did and and there's we, no reason and it's not and it's not a case you know you're you're definitely not one of those bands where you you can look at it and I mean it's 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 I think it's as good of a song as any other song on that album it's not just like the pop single right I no I agree and and especially now I listened to the whole record not that long ago and I mean I like the record I'm proud of it it's it feels very much like reading your old you know yeah. journals or whatever but like we had other good songs but I think the second record uh we really went we went to great lengths to make it difficult to like it, you know, or like to, to make it less than easy, you know? Mm. And, but then we also, like you were almost weeding people out kind of, I mean, I think that's true. Um, but we all, we were like, well, we're, we don't want to be a band like that. We don't want to be the kind of band that like is cravenly, you know, inviting people in. Mm. Um, we want to make sure that if people are listening to us, they do it on our terms, but you know, well, that's so. It's just, it's just daft. Like if I were British, I would have to say it's daft. Um, it's bad logic, bad reasoning because it, it, it's still you're st- like you're still subject to like it's not, it's not the sellout move, but in a way, it's the same thing because you're you know you're predicting what people will think and you're mm. trying to not exactly please them, but I don't know. Um, and so there's stuff on that record where I, I feel like you know if we had just put a chorus in there early in like a minute earlier it might you know like it would have been easier for people to grasp but but that's your I mean, but that's your main hang up with the album i mean again like i i that i love i love that album a lot of people love that album your main hang up with it is that um it maybe could have been bigger if you had been less resistant it's, to it's success. again it's less it's less of because i I, de- I definitely believe that you don't have any control over what you know, like yeah. uh, commercial success is way more about luck than it is about sure. talent or skill. Some people are really good at doing it, but we weren't like, we just were never, we just, we really did win the lottery with the first song, but um, it's, it has less to do with how well it was received and much more about where our heads were at. And, and, and the fact that we sort of, it was calculated. It was just, weirdly calculated but, you but, know? but I guess what I'm getting at is like would it have been a, again maybe it would have been more successful would it have been a better album if there if that chorus had been in? yeah that, I don't know I mean I, that is there are there are moments where I think that and then there are others where I'm like wow that's a really good reflection of who we were then yeah. what we were, and I you know I still I still feel like the the songs themselves are are good and whatever but you know the difference between 1998 when the first record kind of hit the hit the big time and 2000 even though it was a short time is everything was different then Mm. like the 1998 still felt basically like the 90s and it was our alternative rock was still on the radio and of course (laughs) we distanced ourselves from that as much as we could um because we didn't you know relate to it as consumers even though we liked a lot of those bands but like by 2000 it really was like Limp Bizkit and yeah. Creed and and then Britney Spears and Christina yeah, Aguilera it got, it got really bad there it, it was weird it was just yeah. weird and then even the bands that um like the bands that were considered cool and other than what was really successful like the strokes or something they were equally meaningless to us like mm. they didn't they didn't speak to us but then we were in that weird 
we were then in a weird like in between generations time like I really loved the White Stripes and they were kind of they were obviously really big right then but that that sort of like the idea that the Strokes and the White Stripes could have been considered in the same category hmm. was baffling to me um, but really the the fact is that like Flagpole Sitta was sort of I think it's it, it's uh, interest whatever it's merits as a song or a thing on the radio that's you know obviously it has a life of uh, of its own in that way but like as a pop thing or in relation to the other bands that were out there at the time like it's really a weirdo Mm. thing it's it's a it's an aberration and by the time we were doing the second record and trying to kind of do that same thing again we were an aberration that people were just not as interested in, you know, so like... Well, you just said do that same thing again, which sounds... It, it just kind of runs contrary to what you were saying before, right? Well, yeah, but I mean, that's that's the other like, <laughs> conflict, is that we did release the second record on a major label, and we did, like, a video was yeah. made, and we went to radio stations, and, like, our, our, the thought was they would get behind the second record based on the momentum of the first record. But the first record's momentum was over by that time due to things that really we had no control over. And, 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 and the, you know, and, and again, I like that record, but the first record's momentum was the, the single's momentum. Right. But also it was like, it was because here's a band that no one's ever heard of, a song that comes out of nowhere. Yeah. And it was really successful. I mean, really successful. So successful that it was still actively being played by all the stations that we were trying to get the second record single yeah. p- put on and uh they didn't they, like somehow that was a <laughs> it, it was a conflict that actually cost us according to the label anyway that was like it cost us a lot of uh opportunities in that way but um i think it was just you know we whatever our artistic or aesthetic merits as a band were or those songs obviously for a song to be a hit single is very different from a song to be Mm. a great song. And sometimes it's the same thing. Sometimes a great song is also a hit single, but there's plenty of great songs that never got close to that. And so we sort of our, whatever, whatever we did, like our, the version where the, we were an unlikely entry in the mainstream that was just limited to that one time. But it also wound up being the only kind of talking point, you know, hmm. for dealing with our band. And it's still, aside from the people who really dug in and listened to the, the actual full records and were adherents of the band in some way, um, the the sort of the pop world will only ever know Flagpole Sitta as that one moment, you know, that one song. Am that... I the like? I, I, I remember. I'm, I might be the only one, but I, I, I remember there being some note of success around the beat cover too. Um, that was that. That did okay. Um, it was attached to a movie. And... It was attached to a movie, and it was like MTV. MTV. I mean, that's that's funny. Uh, MTV asked for us because they were doing that movie, Two Hundred Cigarettes, which was. Not a great movie, but 
still, they asked for us to do a cover of a song from, I think it was just like that period, like yeah. 80 to 81. And we came up with a really long list of songs. <laughs> a lot, really long. It must have been fun, too. It was super fun. Yeah. And it was exciting. Like, whatever, MTV is whatever you think of them like if you're a band in the commercial marketplace and MTV is like we want you and you're we're going to pay for the recording we're going to pay for the video mm. and of course that means they're going to play it a million times cuz they're promotion they're promoting their film and it's with a song that you love right um presumably so we made this long well, list of songs you don't like the beat song no i like it a lot i always have liked it but it wasn't the one we would have chosen yeah. Our label kept saying, ah, oh, those are okay, but why not, why not, we really think you should do Save It For Later. We really think you should do Save It For Later. And they just got stuck on that idea. And so we're like, all right, we'll do Save It For Later. And we had tried, like, we tried an XTC song. We tried a Gary Newman song. We tried a Devo song. We tried a David Bowie song. And they were all, like, good. They all would have been viable, I think. But the label kept saying, no, no, come on, do this. Just do it. Just try Save It For Later. And we're like, all right. The thing is, it's a great song. And... I have subsequently heard a Pete Townsend cover of it that was, mm. like, kind of heart-wrenching. I mean, yeah. he's amazing, obviously. But um, it wasn't a song that I felt like I had anything to kind of... We didn't feel like we could add to Breaks it. or or. But so we did it, and as it turned out, it was a fun experience. And the, what we did in the studio was really instructive because um, we were dealing with loops, and we kind of... It wasn't really guitar-driven, and it was, it was fun. But then it, we found out that the, our label was reissuing the entire English Beat catalog, and they thought that I if they I was going to ask, because it's such a weird song to get stuck on. Yeah. <laughs> it didn't make any sense until yeah. we found out that, you know, they were reissuing the Beat catalog in the States, and then we felt like we had been reamed yeah. and cheated, and <laughs> and no disrespect ever to the to the Beat, but, like, you know, and it did, it did, it did okay just by virtue of, like, if MTV cranks a video 20 times a day or whatever, they played it all the time. Yeah. But it's still like the fact that they did that did not make the song kind of a, a hit elsewhere. It just was, it had a lot of notoriety in that moment. And it's, you know, historically for us, pop historically, it's great because now like we made this video that we're in with like, Courtney Love and Dave Chappelle and Paul Rudd and Martha Plimpton and yeah. and Christina Ricci and Gabby Hoffman and like of course they weren't in the thing with us yeah. but it's intercut. I see. It was funny because they had body doubles to do <laughs> the you know like yeah. they would shoot they would show the clip from the film and then show us with the characters with their backs to the camera and uh, it was really funny watching the the woman who was. Martha Plimpton's double doing this dancing scene she threw herself into it with such total commitment that I was really like it was inspiring yeah but that again like it just points out that the life of an actor is so thankless so much of the time but um the woman who was Courtney Love's body double when I watched during the course of the day like she she got the gig and she did I mean she she looked like you know the kind of fit Hollywood version of Courtney mm-hmm. Love from that period. But oh, people yeah, Larry Larry Flint. Era. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Between between Larry Flint and uh and whatever oh, time. The skin. Yeah, whatever. Yeah. Was, yeah. yeah. Um and you know, we don't have to get into the whole Courtney Love thing. But I mean. but um 
in over the course of the day. Celebrity so, skin, sorry. Yeah, celebrity skin. So many people kept going up to this woman being like, God, you really look like Courtney Love. And I watched, I would say that at least 10, maybe 15 people went up to her and mm-hmm. said that in like that I was aware of during the course of the day. And it went from her being like, oh, thanks, to like, really? Do you... Do you, like to the extent that she was then looking for work as a Courtney Love impersonator by the end of that day. Now I don't, I don't know anything about her. I never saw her again. But like, there was something about watching that process happen yeah. that I was like, this, you know, show business is so fucked. Like it's such a, it's such a, um, the like the dignity scale of being in show business and and like. The, there are a lot of ways to make a dollar in show business if you are willing to kind of do anything to make money in show business <laughs> and um uh, that i hadn't thought about that for a while but that was that like that was kind of it was there was something chilling about it and you know there's something in what we were doing that was sort of in the same zone like obviously there was no real skin off our back to like do uh to do that video it was yeah. fun and it was you know like that we didn't actually get paid but um you know everything was paid for and it was great it was easy work and enjoyable and we got a lot of attention from it but there again like if you're kind of operating on the on the index of bands like the, the integrity scale that indie rock bands kind of have applied to them and apply to themselves like that was a complete sellout in, in a way you know? say, in, yeah, in, in, it was like a pure sellout it didn't it didn't there's nothing wrong with like I don't believe in the sellout thing in that way no but when but, when, when you're working against have, having Paul Schaefer's band play with you but yet you shoot this music video from yeah. this movie yeah, to exactly. get it into the irritation it I just, I, I guess, you know, it, it, it's hard to know where your priorities are at the time. Yeah. Well, the, I mean, that's a good illustration of where you sort of lose focus. And you also, because it was still was like a train we were on that we weren't engineering. Um, you know, the, obviously, if you're at that time, you put out a record, the best case scenario is that MTV gets behind it. And so you feel like, Obviously, the label and everyone you work with in the professional capacity is like, don't be a fucking idiot. You can't say no to MTV. And we didn't, we didn't really intend to say no either. Yeah. But as soon as everybody said you can't say no, of course, we, I was like, well, no. You know, just <laughs> like just to see. Um, but you know, the truth is that so many of the things that were presented as like clear-cut ethical dilemmas in the world of music and commerce or whatever, I learned that those things were so theoretical that yeah. like most of the, most of the people who were kind of kind of preempting those ethical dilemmas had, were, had never yeah. would never experience them. Yeah. And you know, the truth is that doing that video was fun and, and, and the logic of it, professionally was sound you know like we're about to make another record like we were we were on our way to the studio in uh woodstock we stopped in new york for two days and shot this thing and then went to record the record um obviously the logic is well you do this favor for mtv that is also a favor for you 
keeps the band out there in the world a little bit, and they're going to repay that favor by favoring you when you put out your next thing. And, of course, that didn't happen at all. Um, in fact, the the way the second uh, record was launched into the world was, a, was the perfect illustration of how all the things that had gone right for us the first time went, would just be going wrong for us the second mm. time. And, uh, and it was really down to a, a just a, a glitch at MTV. What was the, what was the moment you realized that like, this is not happening? Again? It was so, it was so clear cut. It was such a, like an, uh, an actual discernible moment in time. It was the, um, we had made a video for sad sweetheart of the rodeo, mm. same director as the save it for later video, Evan Bernard, really good. It was a good video. We looked good in it. Like all of these things that I had been kind of dissatisfied with the first time. I didn't like this flag pulse of video very much. And I didn't like how we looked in it, um, et cetera. So we do this one. It's good. It's ready. Everybody's on board. They're going to premiere it on 120 minutes. Mm. And it literally, I wasn't actually watching. I was at home. I didn't have cable at the time. I was at home. And I was just sort of like, my fists were clenched, and yeah. I was so excited. And I sat there, and the, my phone rang, and it was Evan, our drummer, called me up and said, uh, so yeah, what happened was they said, here's the new video from Harvey Danger. You remember them from Flagpole City a couple of years ago. Here's their new one. We're so excited. Here we go. The new video from Harvey Danger. And then they played Flagpole Sitter. Like, it literally was the case that someone... It was someone, a literal glitch. Yeah. So they, someone literally put the wrong, you know, quarter-inch yeah. VHS tape in the wrong deck. And so rather than playing the new one, they just accidentally played the old one, and there was nothing that could be done about it. Like, they were called by the label folks, and they were like, oh, man, sorry about that. <laughs> we'll give you a do-over. And their do-over was like they played it once at 3 in the morning a week later. And it was it was just over at that point. Um, and it was a, it, as human a human error as you could get. Yeah. But it was also like these things that had been effortless for us leading up to that point suddenly – we found out what it was like when they don't go right, and found what, out what it was like to be an indie band. To be, yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's exactly what it yeah. was. Because every band we knew or knew of had had, like, even if they'd had some success, they basically were like, yeah, you know, it's like it's like that thing in uh, what's that book? Um, oh, How to Lose Friends and Alienate mm-hmm. People. That Toby Young book. They made a movie out of it. There's a great, the great thing in that book is when the guy gets his job at Vanity Fair mm-hmm. or a magazine and the Graydon Carter character goes, I know you think you have arrived, but really there are seven rooms yeah. and you are now in the first yeah. of seven and most people will never get to the second one. You will probably never get to the second one. But so like we were in basically the first or second room for a long time. And like, man, this is great. This is so easy. Like, I can't believe I can't, you know, I can't believe that people make such a big deal about it this sucks it's not even that good and then you know we we went to return to the party and suddenly we're like banging on the outside of the first door and we never really you know like we sort of sniffed around it but you know nothing we had all our luck at once um and then you know we to to be an indie band and be kind of struggling on your own or to like make a life for yourself is a really I think a really noble good uh, 
pursuit. But we were then in a situation where our name meant something mm. really particular and it was associated at that time there still was a stigma attached to having some commercial success it, not necessarily that it means you suck but it means that you're like in a group and so the prospect of like going out and trying to reinvent ourselves yeah. as a legitimately you know, like a credible indie band you know later I saw my friends in Not A Surf do that very thing but they had the thing is they had never stopped doing that yeah. and they were also fantastic live band and like they they just had a certain um self they were self-possessed in a way that like they believed in what they were doing and they just sort of kept doing what they were doing and did it better and better each time whereas we didn't have that kind of unity and we also were like flummoxed by the success we had had um and I was especially really screwed up by it for a while. Um, and so, you know, when it came, when it came time to like, well, we can start from zero mm. or we can just stop. Well, I said, let's we stop. Could, we can start from negative, whatever. Right. right. I yeah. mean, zero would have been, <laughs> zero was a <laughs> best case scenario. Yeah. At that point. But yeah, we uh, like, it, it wasn't also the, you know, whatever, like there were lots of, lots of things like that, but, um, it didn't seem like we, and it also the, none of the people we worked with, like we had a manager at the time. He was, uh, he was good at being a manager of a band that had a lot of, uh, people trying to give them stuff, you know, like he, he but he wasn't designed for helping us figure out our next step. Yeah. And likewise, the label, they were like, we never, you know, we never got dropped we never got, you know, none, none of those dramatic things ever happened. We just sort of went away. Um, and I was, frankly, relieved. But but then also, as years went by, it was like we had this nagging sense of not having finished what we had started hmm. just internally. And that's why we got back together and made the third record, little by little. What is, what is, what is finish? What does that even mean? Well, I mean, I guess... I'm not sure what finished means because it's in the same sense of like you never really get closure. You know, that's like and a it's myth, not but, like we had this album that existed that we just didn't record, right? But we did. We did had a couple of songs yeah. left over, but that wasn't really the issue. The issue was we just felt like we had more work to do. I guess mm-hmm. unfinished is a lot easier to kind of yeah. define. And you know, when we were we split up for three years, and I was playing in this band, The Long Winters. Um, but whenever the other guys from Harvey Danger and I would see each other, which was we li- all lived like three blocks away from each other. Whenever we saw each other, all we would do is talk about the band and what went wrong and whose fault it was. And like not even fighting, but, but yeah, just like yeah. obsessional. Yeah. It's like it was very much like, uh, you know, a four way marriage. And it just sort of it still cast a long shadow over what we were trying to do, mostly because we couldn't. It had been so important to us for so many years well, before we ever got any attention that the attention, while it was, all, you know, it really helped and was good and a lot of good things came from it, <laughs> it also, like, meant that none of none, it spelled the end just as much as it, yeah. you know, enabled us to continue. So, um, So we got back together and did things completely on our own terms, and it was... 
It was successful by several several measures, none mm-hmm. of which were like the big time kind. But it was successful indie rock band touring, putting out an album. Yeah, and we didn't really tour very much. We never really could do that. But like, we put out a record. Yeah. We I saw you guys at the I think Mercury Lounge. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, that was fun. Ra Ra Riot opened for us. Um, that actually that night was significant also because it was also the night I met PJ Harvey and Steve Coogan. Mm. Um, uh, what a weird, but ditto. good show. I guess they're um, both British. Yeah. <laughs> To find that we could reach people who, to reach people just by doing what we were doing, like it felt like we kind of went a very long way around finding, you know, from between point our point A and point B yeah. was this huge career, really. Yeah. And then point B was actually where we wanted to be. But also, like you know, I mean, three years is kind of. You know, at the time it was significant, but in in retrospect, three years between albums is is nothing. I guess. I mean, gl- like <laughs> geologically, it's nothing. Yeah. Well, Pop world wise, well, it's in terms of like different. in terms of putting st- stuff out on on MTV, but in terms of being a band, I mean that that happens. Bands yeah. won't put albums out for three years. That's true. Um, feels like it. Mm, yeah, I guess that's about right. Um, but yeah, and and we also had you know there were lots of personal upheavals mm. and all. Just I don't know. You you tend to dramatize and mythologize your own life. Yeah, when you are doing a project like a band, when anyway. everybody else is doing that for you. Well, yeah, or I mean, the truth is that nobody like these things I'm talking about now. While uh, while I have talked about them before, not exactly like this, but like Harvey Danger continues to be a significant event in my life, um, despite the fact that we haven't played together <laughs> since 2009. Um, it's a you know, and it's a thing that like I keep talking about it, not because. I don't know, like it doesn't, um, I don't get any money from it. I don't get, you know, and it doesn't, it's not exactly that it, I don't, there's no, I don't know exactly what the benefit of talking about it is other than it's interesting to me and it's significant to me and it's a big part of my life. Um, And it's good. You're, you're obviously in a good place that you can talk about it. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) But it's, I feel like I'm in a better place that I don't have to talk about it. I don't talk about it. Um, Unless people ask, and that's that's a new that's a that's a big change. <laughs> I want to I want to ask you about the 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 long winners because you know yeah. and I I saw you guys reunite in New York not all that oh, long yeah, ago. Oh yeah, yeah, that was fun. Um, you know, was that I, I've always wondered. You know, and I, I've I've certainly admired this. I, I, I've admired you for this. Is you know the ability to be like front man in MTV Rock Band and then be keyboard player in indie rock band. I mean, was that a conscious decision to kind of go in the other direction yes it was i mean it was consciously for me an anti-ego gesture mm. um it was a way of gestures that's a funny word well i mean it was like it was it was an important thing reproving yourself me. that you could do it i i had never been in a band before harvey danger yeah. and so i had only the only thing i had ever done in a band is be the front man and at that time hard to fathom though it was like even though like obviously we were kind of done in a mainstream way we weren't you know we our fame period was pretty brief but like in seattle at that time what i did next was uh, of some significance or not you know it was of some interest anyway Mm -hmm. um and so i felt like it was a i felt like it was a a good challenge to myself to learn how to be a support 
pl- a supporting player. Also, I felt like it was a pleasure to do because I really believed in John and John's music. Yeah. And he, um, I had helped him make his record in a really uh, big way. And I loved singing the harmonies on it. And I also, I mean, I like being in a band. I, I really, it's it's fun and it's it's good work and it's not like people in a way people rightfully think of it as a prolonged adolescence and people just sort of dicking around but it is that but it is also like there's another way of looking at it in which you are basically just going out into the world and hanging out a little art shingle and saying this is what this is my stuff and if you like it, I'm delighted, and I can, you know, like, being self-sufficient uh, in that way is, like, it's pretty great if you can if you can make it work. Now, I think a lot of bands, and I certainly am uh, subject to this, like, I like doing it so much that I'm, like, I will do it really for nothing and I will like not making money and not kind of pursuing the a commercial life like I don't I, I obviously you need to make money obviously you need to find a a way to to exist uh, in the world and pay your rent and all that stuff but like I love performing so much that it really does feel like I don't do it I mean, I have done it for money, certainly, and I've got, you know, I find a way to get paid to do it. Mm-hmm. But, like, for two, I was in the long winters for two, maybe three years, during which time I, you know, I didn't get paid anything almost the whole time uh, for, you know, and nobody did. You know, that's the, like, the band would make a few hundred dollars here and there or a couple thousand dollars, whatever, but it all, like, nobody made any profit doing it and we didn't get any like there was no money but we did it because we believed in it and we also felt like well if we keep doing it then it'll you know money will come eventually and it did but by the time it did you know the lineup was was pretty much in flux and like we we had we had burned out on it and we had other other stuff that we wanted to do and it was really John's ultimately it was John's thing and that was just something that we all kind of we all knew it but but understanding it understanding how to put yourself into a band but also how to withhold yourself from it for your own sanity is like that's a that's a big struggle this is this brings us full circle to the beginning i think you know you were talking about kind of needing a support structure when 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 we were speaking about you know very specifically about getting the record out there yeah Um, but when we talk about support structures uh i mean you know one of the nice things i i would assume about being in a a band with somebody as big a personality as, as john roderick is like success or failure get to be on on him you know so you don't you don't necessarily need to be, you know, if 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 an if an album isn't super successful, it's not a hundred percent on the keyboard player, right? No, no, for sure. And I mean, to be fair, I also have a very big personality, sure. and so in the in the van or on the stage, you know, it was definitely like 
I was giving as good as I was getting, and oh, yeah. like we yeah. were we were allies, but we were also not exactly rivals. But we like we had call a, it frenemies is the word yeah. we use now. Yeah, I mean we were you know we were and are very close yeah. friends, but we have the kind of close friendship where there is a certain component of just deep conflict. Mm. But, and I think it comes from, I mean, this is true of every close friendship I've ever had where there's some sense of like, when you try, when you're both trying to occupy the same yeah. cultural space, yeah. you know, there is just naturally some conflict and competition, competition kind of, I just, I, the word, the word competition, it just like, I wasn't competing with John for like glory in the long winters by any means. Like I was completely in the thrall of making that band as good as it could be within whatever my skills were, mm-hmm. whatever our skills were. But you know, the, the fact is like he How to say it? <laughs> I mean, it's late enough in the podcast he could just say right. Exactly. Thinking. The only person listening yeah. will be him anyway. We'll be wondering him. if I get around to talking about him, but um, <laughs> um, you know, like his ambition to be like his. Well, let me just say that like his his skill as a songwriter is uh, un. He's incomparable. I yeah. think he like I. I have known a lot of really great songwriters, and I put him in the first rank. Like he is as good as they get. Um, and as a performer, I think he's fantastic. Also, and and when we perform together, I believe that it is like it's not just good. It's like really special and 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 unique. You know, it's that I've I feel like whatever our double act thing is, it is really special. Um, and I love doing it. Um, but the thing about doing it is that he has a larger, um, personal ambition Mm. to be recognized for those things that he's great at. And I would not dispute that he should have that ambition and that he should do it. But like, but basically the role of being his sort of his foil and his support mechanism made it so that after a while it really was like I was working just as uh, I was working harder in a way than I had ever worked in Harvey Danger for something that at best was like someone else's glory and I was psyched to do that for a long time and then I found that I had a harder time doing it as our personal conflicts kind of grew um I don't know if that really if that really gets it, but like, also we were younger. Also, yeah. we didn't know we didn't know what would come next. But like, it was it was psychic. Psychically, it was hard. Like there was some serious psychic warfare going on in that band. And you know, I also think there was a lot of love and a lot of respect happening. I don't know from whom to, to what. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean that's that that's the that's a, the, the thing about ambition, though. You know, I, he he get, he gets in such a spot, and, and God bless him. And and I like I like you know pot, his podcast and what he's doing now. Mm-hmm. But but um, 
the tough thing about ambition and the tough, tough thing about setting your 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 goals really high you've certainly run into this because you know you were having your own your own misgivings about you know maybe issuing those records but um do you get do do you get into that place where you just don't ever put a record out again? I mean, he, I know he's struggling with that. Right? He's very he's very public about about yeah. sort of struggling with that, right? Yeah, now. and I mean, he and I have talked about it a lot too. Well, he and I, one of the deep roots of our friendship is the sense of like being a polymath is the best thing you can be. Yeah. Like being good at lots of stuff is a is a an outgrowth of being interested in lots of stuff. And it keeps you sane. I don't know about that. <laughs> well, it keeps, I, keep, I, no, I mean, from the standpoint of like of not doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah, I mean, there are some people who simply are they. only the only language they speak is yeah. songwriting, and John is not one of those people. Like he writes great songs, but like he is just as voluble on the subject of you know of European history yeah. as he is about, you know, the impossibility of love ever existing or whatever. And, <laughs> and he's just as interested in those things, you know, yeah. and, and maybe even more so. And I think as he gets older, he finds that he's less in tune with the music culture than he was before. And even before he was an outsider to it. Um, and I completely, completely relate to that. And that sense of like, are you chasing and this is about me now uh but like i have looked up a couple of times and been like wow everything in my life is really gathered around decisions i made about who i wanted to be yeah. when i was 18 yeah. years old and i'm 41 and um i don't recognize any, like there's nothing else about me that is how i was when i was 18 not one thing i and i and i'm glad because i don't like who i was then but the I hair still hasn't love, changed. That the much. hair has changed some. It's <laughs> certainly a lot grayer, um, uh, but it's not any thinner. I'm happy to say. But um, you know, the hunger to to sort of do stuff to distinguish yourself and like basically not just validate, but like assert your existence in the world. That's that's at the heart of why I like making things and doing things. It's not like. I don't know if it's a pure art impulse. I don't You're know what that the is. Level, but that, the level of that hasn't changed over the years. That you? that has not that hasn't changed for me. The like the sense that if I make a record well, then yeah. that record exists, and I therefore I exist, and therefore it is. You know, like there that there's something about that that's very real. Um, but it's also it's also a way of getting. Uh, I don't know. It's not just about applause or, yeah. or, or about acclaim. It's about it's about demonstrating your your existence, and I mean, I, you know, again, well, you've got more pressure on you, but you, you've also got more opportunity to do that when the band name is your name, when it's it, it's as pure of an expression as it could be. Well, yeah, I mean, you would think, but like there again like I, that was my when I, my record was done I was like I feel like I should make it a band name just yeah. because partly, partly because Sean Nelson is just another it's a hard name to two Google two words for people to remember <laughs> and there's already an actor named yeah. Sean Nelson and he's really good um, there's also a country western singer named Sean Nelson and, and so I thought about oh I gotta have a band name and, and she was like no just make it your name it's don't be like it's you yeah just and and it's true that my unwillingness to have it just be my name had a lot to do with this sense of like well what like who cares about me 
and and in a way who does care and who should care and I don't think that anybody necessarily should or whatever but I have to at some point actually care about myself and I'm so I'm glad I did that um but yeah like I think that's something that I don't know like those long winners records are John Roderick records no matter how many other people played on yeah. them or whatever they are him um and he was the you know if not the the total architect he was certainly the master builder of them um and and I guess he was the architect too I don't even know what that means but um but because there is a you know a nom de guerre mm. uh, you know he's now in a position of like he has to if he puts out a record it basically is like this has to be a long winter's record yeah. and so he he's now that's i think that's just the thing about bands you know you get you get i mean even like i don't know lots of people smog changed his name back to bill, bill callahan yeah. and dave bazan was pedro the lion for a long time but now he's dave bazan um eventually people tend to revert to their to their name um and i think that there's some but there's got to be some reason for that i don't know what it is <laughs> I can't speak for anyone else, though I often try. There you have it. That was Sean Nelson of, uh, of Harvey Danger, of The Long Winters, of, of being Sean Nelson. Uh, he actually put out his first solo record last year. It's called uh, Make Good Choices. And and you could make good choices by picking up that record, listening to it on, on Spotify, or, or going to see him, I guess, if he plays a show around. He's, he's not doing a lot of them, but I did have the pleasure of seeing him perform live uh, out here in uh, in New York while he was in town for a week or two at uh, Union Hall. Really, really fantastic show. Nice, nice to see him perform music in, in such a, a stripped down setting. Uh, lots of fun speaking with him. Very, very, some very interesting insight. Um, super fascinated by people who have, you know, a lot of, a lot, a lot of big success right out of the gate. Um, and he's, you know, he's obviously had a lot of success since then. You know, I think very arguably uh, the later Harvey Danger records were, were the better ones. I'm a big fan of uh, King James version, their second one, um, and their their third and most recent album was really fantastic too. Uh, he's been acting. He was in uh, My Every List Brilliance. He's been writing for The Stranger. He's been he's been keeping very busy. Um, but you know, it's just some some sort of interesting. Uh, insight into how we how we gauge our own our own successes. So thanks so much to Sean for taking the time to do that. Uh, thanks to John Hodgman, um, which I, I don't know if he knows that he actually surrendered his apartment for for that interview. Uh, Sean was uh, staying at uh, at his place for for a couple of weeks while while he was out of town. So um, we got to got to record that one in the uh, the Judge Sean Hodgman pod, podcast studio. So you know, it was like, like a Oh God! I feel like I just pulled back the curtain. It's not actually, it's not actually a, a courtroom that he records in. Uh, but thanks so much to John for doing that. Uh, thanks to uh, Brian as always for editing this thing together. Thanks to Mark and everybody else at the Boing Boing Podcast Network for hosting us up. Uh, you can check out the podcast over there at boingboing.net. You can check it out on uh, Boing Boing's uh, iTunes page over on iTunes. We have our own iTunes page, obviously, because that's. I mean, you, I'm sure that you're aware that's how iTunes works. Uh, if you liked what you heard, please rate us over there. Um, you can also follow us on Tumblr. It's ryylcast.tumblr.com. You'll get the show uh, days, if not... Uh 
Well, days. You'll get it days. I was going to say weeks. Eh, probably not weeks. Hours, if not days, before, you, before you'll get it over over at Boing Boing. Uh, if you have any feedback, it's riwildcast at gmail.com. And we will be back next week with yet another episode of RIYL.